He took all our sin and our pain and carried it on the cross that we should carry it no more. One of the songs we sing here, maybe we'll sing later. I'm trading my sorrow. I'm trading my shame for the joy of the Lord. Today, we're going to trade and in place sorrow, sighing, mourning, weeping, and shame, we're going to see the glory of the Lord. Amen. Amen. The glory and the shame. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Shame is a disturbing, paralyzing, acutely painful feeling that is deeply embedded in the inner recesses of the human personality. It is like a deep internal wound that is infected, like an ulcer deep in the human soul. Shame is a moral issue, a spiritual issue, and increasingly psychologists are declaring it a psychological issue which is very hard to cure and from which it's very hard to escape. Shame is a feeling. It's an emotion. It's a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by knowing or thinking that you've done something wrong. Blame and shame. Now, the word was used very often in the Victorian period. You get those dictionaries that give you the frequency of the use of a word over the years. And I don't think it's very surprising that in the Victorian era, which was a lot about morality, that shame was a word used very, very regularly. Then it, it disappeared for a little while, not entirely, but in recent years, the word shame is ga um, gaining new and fresh currency. And I believe it's because psychologists are talking more and more about shame. They're coming to believe that shame-based feelings are at the root of many disorders. A book 
on psychology called The Psychology of Shame, lists and explains the basis of shame in many syndromes in the psychological spectrum. People live with a shame-based sense of self and carrying that shame at the core of your personality is extremely damaging to the human soul. Psychologists explain that guilt is related to actions. We feel guilty because we've done something wrong or we think we've done something wrong. But shame is not so much about actions as it is about identity. It's more than saying, I've done something wrong. It goes deeper than that, and it's far more debilitating. It says, I am wrong. There is something wrong with me, deeply wrong with me. This kind of feeling can affect everything. You can have such a sense of shame that your own identity is shame-based and and, and you are so down on yourself and people like that find it easy to hate the world. Find it difficult to build relationships. Find it difficult to move on even in their spiritual life believing that they are so unworthy that nothing good could ever happen to them. They're not worthy of being loved. They're not worthy of being blessed. And even when uh, the moments come when they think that God might have something for them, they let it go and say, no, no, it must be for the people next to me. This deep feeling of agony that you are worthless, that you don't measure up, that you are not enough, you can never do enough to prove your worth or value for others. Life, maybe your environment has left you feeling worthless, powerless and empty. And when you meet somebody like that and you talk to them about God, immediately they assume that you're going to tell them the same thing. That God looks upon them in the same way. I remember talking about the love of God, sharing something of the good news of the gospel. Bit by bit in a conversation, it was not a street corner, brother, are you saved? It was a conversation in, in the context of friendship. And the person replied to me saying, my father rejected me, my father left me feeling worthless, never good enough, and now you're telling me that God is also going to reject me and throw me into hell. I had never mentioned it. The gospel is, he did not come to condemn, but to save. Now there are different kinds of shame. There is moral shame. Um, and that's when you judge yourself to have failed in some way. You haven't done something you should have done, or you've done something you shouldn't have done. And this, this is everywhere. Even people who don't believe in God have a, a deep sense of natural law. Uh, I mean, they know it is wrong to lie. They know it is wrong to steal. They know that it is, it is wrong to cheat and, and all these kind of things. And, and we, we know that they know it's wrong because they always try to justify themselves. 
Have you ever said to somebody, you broke your promise? Oh, well, you know, if I'd known how difficult it would have been, I'd have never made that promise in the first place. Or you say, well, that was a lie, you know, but I had to lie, bend the truth a little bit there to, to, just to help the situation out. We're always trying to excuse our behavior. And whenever we are trying to excuse our behavior, it's because we're hiding a deep sense of shame. The psychological shame is related, it's a little bit different. It's, it's that sense that you have failed to come up to some standard of others or the expectations of others. And it can often happen without us really realizing it, even in good families with good parenting. It, it is so easy to miscommunicate and, and allow your children to think that they are not good enough. Even parents, Christian parents, who are trying to introduce their children to the ways of the Lord can do it in such a way as to do psychological damage and bring young people up in an environment of never being good enough. Comparing siblings or trying to encourage children in education uh, or at sport it, it, we can communicate that unless they fulfill our expectations, they have no validity in themselves, no real worth in themselves. It is a delicate balance, but it's a real experience for many people. Maybe you today relate to that and say, you know what, I feel that way. Many, many people struggle with this problem of shame. But we haven't even begun yet to describe the real problem because the real problem goes deeper than any psychological wound. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. When we talk about our relationship with God, the Bible makes it clear it is an absolute blanket statement. Romans 3 verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have shame on the one side and the glory of God on the other. We are sinners by nature. We are born in sin. And there is that sinful nature in every human being, naturally speaking. But of course, God comes and deals with it. That's the good news. So we are sinners by nature. We sin by our choice. We sin in word. We sin in thought. We sin in deed. And all the while... It's not just what we do, it's what we fail to do, fall short of the standard that brings God glory. This absolute, pure, authoritative standard of God, based on his absolute perfection, holiness, and moral nature, his righteousness. So we have failed objectively 
all have sinned, and I'm not so sure that people are wandering around Notting Hill Gate or wherever they are today saying, you know what, I'm a sinner. They're not necessarily conscious that even God exists or that they have failed him in any way and would resent the suggestion and say you're being negative and judgmental. But the fact is, is that all have sinned, whether they feel it or not. Guilty, objectively guilty. But many also carry that deep sense of subjective guilt. They feel it. They feel it. And so if uh, these other levels of shame are serious, we need to go to the most serious of all shame, and that is the shame and the blame that we have sinned and fall short. Not just have fallen, but fall short of the glory of God. Now I said all of that to to say this. That need of blame and shame in the objective sense, in the subjective sense, in any sense you like to put forward today is exactly what the gospel addresses and the good news of Jesus Christ deals with. And it's all about what happened at the cross. Derek Prince has a teacher had a teaching is with Jesus now it's in, in print the exchange at the cross he was here in the church teaching about it and if you remember one of the first aspects of the exchange w- was that Jesus took our sin that we might experience his righteousness Derek Prince would say He was made sin with my sinfulness that I might be made righteous with his righteousness. So Jesus took upon himself what was due to us so that we could freely receive what was due to him by faith. So today, if you don't know Jesus Christ and you recognize that you have sinned and that you have fallen short of the glory of God, the good news is you don't have to bear it anymore. Jesus was made sin with your sinfulness that you might be forgiven, that you might be set free and that you might be made the very righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Now that's worth a hallelujah or two in the house of God today. And then another aspect of of the exchange is what I'm focusing on today. Jesus took my shame that I might receive his glory. Would you say that with me today? Jesus took my shame that I might receive his glory. And, And let this minister to you today. This is more than me declaring as best as I can Bible truths and Bible facts. I believe with all my heart that God wants to set some of you free today in a way you have never been free before. Wondering what it is that makes it so difficult to make progress and to stay the course. 
What makes it so difficult to feel that God loves you, although in your mind you say, I know he does, but in my heart I don't experience it. What makes you feel so frequently that you want to pull back and maybe even tone down your spiritual life or maybe even leave it on side and have a spiritual holiday? What makes it the case? See, when the writer is writing to the Hebrews, he's dealing with a very discouraged people. He's dealing with people who are at the point of pulling back at the point of giving up altogether. And he says, consider Jesus, remember Jesus. He endured. And, and that endurance you can learn from. And he gives a big key to how we can be released and endure and continue with joy in the Lord by him teaching that Jesus took away our shame. Amen. amen and amen. Think about it for a moment. Think of the shame of the cross. We can focus and we, we try to do so and I think it is good when we think about the physical sufferings of Jesus on the cross. And at that level, it was the most agonizing, cruel, torturous deaths, certainly of that period in history, probably in all history. And we've taken at times the trouble to seek to describe the depths of the physical agony of Jesus. But we all know that there are lots of different kinds of pain and many would agree that emotional pain is the hardest to bear. So when Jesus chose to take our shame, not only did he experience a shameful death, but he experienced the emotions and the pain of all humanity your shame, he felt at the cross that you will not need to feel it again. Amen, amen and amen. At one level, we can see the shamefulness of it. The very death itself was shameful. And the Roman historian said, don't let even the word crucifixion be upon the lips of a Roman citizen. No Roman citizens were allowed to be crucified. It was for those outside of the covenant. It was outside of the empire. It was for those who were common criminals. It was the death reserved for the scum of the earth. And Jesus embraced it. It was open and public. To watch somebody suffering is cruel. To take delight in it and say, he deserves this, is weird and bizarre. But that's how it happened. Crucifixion was a way of warning other people. Not to commit similar crimes. And the person who died on the cross, every one of them 
had their crime written above their heads. What was the crime above the head of Jesus? This was the king of the Jews. Legally, that meant that Jesus was claiming to be emperor and to overthrow Rome. And yet Jesus himself to Pilate said, my kingdom is not from this world. It's nothing to do with Rome. It's the kingdom of God that has come to bring righteousness and joy and peace and hope and transformation to all humanity. And for this they crucified him, put him to open scorn. They mocked him and said, he saved others and he can't deliver himself. Where is his God now? Imagine the humiliation of that. Most Renaissance painter, paintings, or indeed most paintings that deal with the crucifixion, place a light silken cloth around the loins of the crucified one. But he did not die covered up. He died naked and exposed to all the world, his mother, his friends, public death, naked, exposed on the cross. Imagine the shame of that death. But it was not just what we can see and what we can enter into by thinking about it. Jesus in that moment reached out and embraced the shame of all humanity that we should be clothed in his righteousness and not naked and exposed in the sight of God, clothed with the royal robes of righteousness. It says, for the joy set before him, that's the glory which is to come. He endured the cross, despising the shame. What does it mean? He despised the shame. It means literally to think against it, to have no regard to it, not to take it into account, to pay no attention to it, but rather to embrace it. Why? Because it was part of the package to submit to the cross meant that would be part of it? Yes, but more. He took it upon himself that you and I might be free from it. That we would never, ever have to walk in shame ever again. Because we are washed, we are cleansed, and there's no blame and no shame through the blood of Jesus Christ. Living without shame. Of course, it means that we must walk in righteousness. Romans 6.21 says, What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. So there is a sense in which it's vital for us to, from time to time, look back at what we were. To remember that. To remember that we were sinners, but we're now saved by grace. To remember the things that we did and sometimes still want to do. 
and realize that there is no glory in those things, only shame, and he has not called us to shame but to glory. 1 John 2, 28, John says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. In other words, we are to walk in his glory and thank God that though we still daily fall short of all that he would like us to be and wants us to be, we don't walk in shame. We come quickly and say, Jesus, I thank you for the washing and the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ. I thank you that I'm not saved by my righteousness, but by your righteousness, which can never spoil or fade. Living without shame means experiencing your deliverance from it. Of course, we uphold the standard. You see, there are a lot of people in the world who, who don't overtly suffer from shame because they don't think they've done anything wrong. The word sin is missing from our modern vocabulary. It is a very much a Christian part of the Christian vocabulary. We're not ashamed to talk about sin because we have the answer to it. It's ironic that the less people talk about sin and accept that there is a holy God to which we are accountable, the more in bondage to shame they become. There are those who are brazen and shameless. They have a seared conscience. But we have a tender conscience. We care. We fear God. And so we don't get away from blame or shame by saying, well, there's no such thing as sin and everybody does it and it doesn't really matter. No, no, no. We uphold the standard and then immediately we recognize that we have done wrong. You watch somebody who is being nailed on a particular point. Either a wife who's, I was going to say, interrogating her husband, but maybe asking him some simple questions and he wants to avoid the issue. Did you enjoy your, your work, walk home today? Yes, yes, yes. Which way did you go? Oh, just, just through the park. Did you go through that part of the park where at the end of it there is a pub by the name of Haggis Inns or something like that? <laughs> oh yes, I noticed that. Did you go in? Well, I, 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 I looked in. Did you enter? Well, well, just for a moment. Time to have a pint, maybe one or two. People squirm. And there is still a pride in us that why don't we simply admit and say, I blew it. There is a pride in us that resists this because we don't like the feeling of shame. But the moment we accept our blame and deal with the shame, it's gone forever. Now, we, we know that we've done wrong, but it has to go further than that. God does not want us to walk around with increased levels of misery and, 
and, and shame and, and this idea that we're carrying around the great weight of past sinfulness. No, 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 no. The body of sin has been destroyed that we might live a new life clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He has removed our blame. He's removed our guilt. He's taken away our shame and he's given us his joy and his glory. I will try not to sing it. But every time I've made this point, I've given in and, and tried to sing it. But there was a song that we used to sing. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Do you remember the song? Okay. So if you don't know, somebody will sing it to you afterwards. That's the Lord's song. But shame teaches us to sing the devil's song. I'm not worthy. I, I nearly sang. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy, O Lord. That's not God's song. That's the devil's song. He wants you to beat yourself up over every little thing that you've done wrong, the big things you've done wrong, and nothing that you've done wrong. He still wants to beat you up. Learn to sing the Lord's song. It's the song of the saved. It's the song of the redeemed. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive honor and riches and power and wealth. You are worthy. And... My unworthiness is lost in the infinite ocean of the worthiness of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. He's taken away your shame, my shame, and set us on our feet, set us on the path towards his glory. Now, shame has body language. If you're walking in shame, you tend to hunch your shoulders. You tend to drop your face. You can't look people in the eye. You're walking in shame. God wants that shame out and he wants a confidence to come. Not an arrogance, but a confidence. We don't live in a shame-based self. You don't embrace a shame identity you embrace a forgiven identity. You embrace a confidence before God. And that also has body language. Where you're not arrogantly struck, strutting around. Look at me how amazing I am. No, I am free. I'm forgiven. I'm delivered. I'm at peace. I'm walking in the joy of the Lord. Amen and amen and amen.